There was something so deep and profound and mysterious and magical and beautiful and heart-opening. We wanted that in it. At the same time, we also felt like it should help us all as graduates open up to the very real necessity that the transformation we experienced at our personal process was now large enough to bring forward into the world in the way our spiritual selves are asking us to. Welcome, everybody. My name is Drew Horning, and this podcast is called Love's Everyday Radius. It's brought to you by the Hoffman Institute, and it's stories and anecdotes and people we interview about their life post-process and how it lives in the world radiating love. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hoffman Podcast. Julie Daly is with me this morning, and it's a Sunday morning, right, Julie? It is. Bright and early. Bright and early. Julie is... Maybe you've recognized her name before, perhaps not her voice, but she is the producer of the Hoffman Podcast. Welcome, Julie. Oh, thank you, Drew. It's nice to be on the other side of the mic with you here. (laughs) It's going to be a good conversation. We're talking a little bit about how this podcast came into being. Uh, Julie, you are the producer, but you're also a part of special projects and marketing, so many things at the Hoffman office in support of this amazing thing called The Process. What else would you add to that introduction? I think what I'd like to add is just my love for the work of The Process. I am someone who really believes in the power of doing deep personal transformation as a way to bring peace to the world. Yeah. I you know I feel that your commitment to personal transformation through your coaching, and then also through your work at Hoffman, and then really through the work of this podcast, bringing powerful stories in support of transformation. Do you see the podcast as in alignment with your value of the importance of personal transformation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think part of that personal transformation is not keeping it to yourself, but being a part of the changing of our world. And so telling stories and broadcasting stories fits in beautifully with the other work that I've done for decades of coaching, as you said, and teaching creativity courses, and really knowing the importance of human expression. And expression not from our more wounded trauma selves, but the expression of of the spiritual self and the expression of the body and the expression of beautiful emotions and a a healthy mind. So the podcast is a way for people to share what's inside of them. And how do we know what's inside of anybody unless somebody actually shares it? And that's where the beauty happens. So let's talk a little bit about how we sort of got here You and I have been working together for almost four years and recently had the opportunity to meet for the first time. And we posted that meeting, that photo on social media and got a lot of responses. And the office in particular was inspired and loved the sort of story of that, that we had worked together for so long and hadn't actually met in person. 
all of it being done on Zoom and over phone calls and texts and emails at all times of the day. And so they said, let's do a little bit of a story around how this podcast came into being. So that's that's part of why we're here together. Can you share a little bit about some of the origin story of the podcast from the office's standpoint? I mean, how did this thing come into play so quickly? Absolutely. And first of all, though, before I say that, I want to say it was just really, really nice to meet you in person. There's something about personal contact, seeing each other in the flesh that's just deepens. It deepened our relationship, I think. I feel that way. Yeah, let's jump in there because this we really want this to be like a behind the scenes of the Hoffman podcast. It was, let's say it was April of, well, first it was March, late March of 2020 when COVID hit. Bridging into April, suddenly we couldn't do, we couldn't hold the process. We couldn't do in-person things. And so one of the things I've always loved about the Hoffman Institute is how much we care about the graduate community and how important it is that we support the graduate community. And so when COVID hit, it was like, how are we going to support people now? Because everybody's going through a really difficult time and need to use their tools and have to have the feeling of community that's helpful. And so we had meetings about that. And I know I wasn't in on some of the faculty meetings and all the different things that we put together uh, from the Institute. But one of the meetings that I started to be a part of was how to have a podcast. And that came about because before COVID hit, probably six months, I wrote a white paper about how to put a podcast together. It sort of lays out why something's important, how to do something. It's a detailed sort of fact report on things. That's how I would see it. Mine was like that. But it's something you put into paper so that you can pass it around and people can see, oh, this is what she's talking about, or this is how she's backing herself up. Freddie, who used to work in the marketing department, we had long conversations about it. So we passed it off to Liza Ingrassi, and she was reading it and she was looking at it and considering it. This was before COVID. And then it turns out that some of the faculty had been talking about doing a podcast. And suddenly when they came together and Liza saw there's interest within the staff and there's interest in the faculty, my sense was that it was like, oh my gosh, this could be something we could actually do. And there's interest here. And there's not only interest, there's expertise. And so that was April. And then toward the end of April, it was a go. And I think we got our, I don't remember the first day, but we got the first podcast episode out middle of May of 2020. So... <laughs> that timeline, April, and then the middle of May. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was, you know, like all of the other things that the Institute was working on to get out for the grads, everything was like, we got to get this out. We really felt a need and a commitment to getting things out to support the graduate community in a time of great, what would you say COVID was in the beginning? It was like, oh my gosh, sort of like surprise and then shock and like, what are we doing? Am I safe? There was lack of information. All the things that we really needed our tools for, it was like really like opening into this great unknown. Yeah, I think all the grads through the years sort of all came out of the woodwork wanting what they experienced at Hoffman, what they had experienced in the graduate community, a kind of connection and also emotional support 
around navigating this isolation, this unique set of circumstances. Maybe people have to remember what it was like in those early days and the the panic that set in around health, you know, scrubbing down groceries, the panic of the physical pandemic. Will I get the virus? How do I not get the virus? But then also the emotional piece of of isolation and not knowing. That was just caused a lot of distress. Even you saying that just brought it all back to me, all of the things. And so the podcast became a perfect, and then once it was okayed, it was like go time. We began immediately scrambling for guests and meeting with Walt, our editor extraordinaire. Talk about those early episodes, and once we got the green light, what happened? How'd it go? The feeling of the time was of, I was excited, I was nervous, I was confident, I was vacillating between confidence and, is this going to work? There were a lot of feelings swirling. And I should add that in a prior time in my life, I was a systems analyst, computer programmer at a bank for a number of years, decade and a half. So I have a really good tech background. I knew I could rely on that. I also knew that I could rely on my history of doing a very short podcast myself. And I knew that as the producer, I could rely on your history of being someone who hosted a podcast. So we had a lot of, you know, to be perfectly honest, we had a lot of capability and we had a tool set that you and I brought to this and that Walt brought to it. He knew how to do this work already. So it wasn't like we'd never done anything like this. And I think that's important for transparency. At the same time, what was new was how do we build this so that it is what will support our graduates? So that we do bring something to the table that feels good and feels enlarging and enlivening during a time when everything got tighter and tighter and smaller and smaller. Yeah, I remember the first early challenge that I experienced was how do we, we are Hoffman, and as such vulnerability feels like it's baked into everything we do, everything students do at the process. And so my whole felt like mission early on was to get guests, grads to be as vulnerable as possible because there's so much sort of pithy jargon, cliche words around transformation and change. People talk about it in that kind of more superficial way. And I didn't want to be a podcast that just did a cursory view of transformation. We got to get into the details. We got to get into the nitty gritty. We have to get into the messy middle and helping guests share that messy middle and relax into the conversation so that they could be honest about what was really causing them the pain that led them to the process causing them the consternation or the struggle in the middle of the process so that we could really celebrate when they did connect with their spirit, their integrated quadrinity, the light inside them. When they did go there, it had been earned and the listener had been taken through the journey of it to get to the the reward at the end. 
How did you hold those early episodes and those early guests and our work together? I know I, I'll say this, Julie. We were, we, we, I love what you said. We both knew what we were doing and we didn't. We were figuring it out. We were making mistakes. We were talking all the time, trying to create something that we didn't know what it would be like. Yeah. A bunch of things came up as you were speaking. You know, one of the things you and I have talked about is that this was a, a really creative journey together. We can do things in the past and have information from that. But when you come together with new people, a new goal, there's a lot of newness. And anytime you dive into something new, you're already stepping into the whole area of, of the unknown, right? It's, there's so much unknown. So we were confident in what we knew, but it was perfectly normal to not know. So what I loved about our collaboration was that you're a Hoffman teacher and you've been a teacher for quite a while and you've taught a lot of processes. You brought all of that. I'm a grad, right? <laughs> so I also was in enrollment for a number of years. So I have some of that history. We brought all of that understanding to creating this in a way that felt like what we both personally wanted to see created and what we felt would be also something that would be indicative of the work Hoffman Institute does, as well as something helpful. So that both and, so that it reflects the Institute, it reflects what we represent, the work we do, and there's a practical takeaway for listeners. Right. And one thing I didn't say, and I know that your question was, you know, talk about the beginning. So I have a little more to say about that. In the paper I wrote and in the discussions I had with Freddie, one of the things we both felt was really, really important in any future podcast from the Institute was not only the graduate's story and taking them back to a moment in time when they were at their process and they had a pivotal moment, which our listeners have heard you say many times, so that that feeling of the process would become alive in the actual episode, because it is a feeling that happens there. There's something that we can't even quite put into words. I'll, I'll go into my own, back to my own process. There was something so deep and profound and mysterious and magical and beautiful and heart-opening. We wanted that in it. At the same time, we also felt like it should help us all as graduates open up to the very real necessity that the transformation we experienced at our personal process was now large enough to bring forward into the world in the way our spiritual selves are asking us to. So it's not just a personal transformation. It becomes a gift we can give to the world and not through our patterns, but although that might happen, but by using our tools, listening to our spiritual selves, knowing that we have something to contribute to world peace one person at a time, as Bob Hoffman said. So it's not just our personal transformation and peace. It's that we then actively become part of that shift. The term everyday radius was a phrase that I wrote into the um, white paper without, it was just part of my writing. And one of the faculty members really liked that. So we put loves in front of it. And so the enlargement of ourselves into the world through our everyday radius, that radius growing as we realize we have something to contribute, 
but it's everyday, meaning we don't need to be the next, you know, Mahatma Gandhi. We just need to be ourselves. That goes back to why I do all the things I do in the world. I'm really hearing that the transition from the personal to the global on a very minuscule everyday level feels like it's very important to you. This is very much your why. It is. It is. As well as knowing a little bit about the creative process so that you can move into the new, to the unknown, into that creative journey, trusting deeply in your spiritual self, trusting in the wisdom of your body, trusting in your quadrinity. I'm thinking of this quote by Edward Teller that says, when we come to the end of all that we know, we must trust that one of two things will happen. Either we will find something solid to stand on, or we will learn how to fly. And there's something about this stepping into the unknown that, that feels really, really important. Yeah. I think it's something that humans, we humans, I'll just back up to me, that stops me from taking action. It's like that hesitation. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm actually stepping onto the path that he was speaking about, right? Where there's no path anymore. Yeah, James Clear in Atomic Habits talks about the importance of that first step, like refine later, modify, perfect later. But your first goal is to get going, create action, even very small steps, and then make sure you can modify later. But the action is the most important step at first. Yes, and that comes when you have faith and trust in your spiritual self, in your essential nature, that you can meet any challenge that comes along the way, and that you will not only experience challenges and difficulty, but you experience the joy of the unknown. So yeah, there's this quote that I read, and I, I read it so quickly, and it affected me so much that I don't remember who actually wrote the quote. But when we come to trust in the unknown more than the known, then we'll fly. There's something so powerful about the unknown. It's where the new resides. It's where there's so much possibility. When we're caught in the known, it's just known. The same old thing, right? It's known. And it feels good, but it's not actually where new things come out of. And so going back to how this all started, those couple of weeks between when the decision was made and when we actually put out the first episode, you and I were like going back and forth all the time. And, you know, and it wasn't always pretty, <laughs> to be honest, right? But we trusted each other. And we not only trusted ourselves, we trusted each other. And so we could get into that messy middle. I was doing, you know, you were you were looking for guests, grads to interview. I was doing all the tech part in the back, getting everything set up. You know, who's our host going to be? What was the name going to be? What's the logo going to look like? So there's all those background things that need to happen. But we did that in a few weeks. We got three episodes out. We actually launched with three episodes in the beginning so that people had a little bit to listen to until we got new ones out. And that gave us a window of three weeks to make sure the next one was available. It's almost as if our creative process in creating the podcast mirrors the creative process of being human. 
That's exactly it. (laughs) You know, I mentioned that I teach creativity courses. That's exactly it. Our human life is a creative process. That's what it is. If we're honest, we're always facing the unknown every morning we wake up. I'm thinking of Jason Eric for some reason in season one, I think, talking about uh, his life force and his spirit is his life force. And he references dancing and singing and moving his body in early morning walks in Minnesota. It's a great episode and kind of speaks to the creative life force emerging inside of him and then outside of him. That's a great episode. We have so many great episodes. We have almost 150. 150 episodes. Just about. And I'm thinking of Ian Salvage's as our 100th episode and his incredible vulnerability as teachers. I mean, that's another thing we should just mention is that when we get teachers on, one of the things we say and we prep them about is that this is not about Uh, Just sharing your wisdom. Yes, you have plenty of it. And yes, we want to hear a couple mic drop moments. And what is most powerful is your story, is your narrative. So tell it to us. Tell us how you struggled, what happened, what was your process like. And I think that's been an important piece to get teachers to tell their personal story and not just share their insights. I think also in in listening to you, and I I have a question for you, when you step into a new episode and you hit record and you have a grad on the other side, that's a creative process. You don't know what's going to happen. And how do you help support that guest in leaning into that unknown as well? I think that's really changed for me. I appreciate the question. I'm full of gratitude for that question. And then also, that's changed over time. I think first is that this is a a verbal medium. And so people can have powerful experiences, people can have incredible transformation. But if they can't use their words to describe it, all is for naught. It's just not going to work. And so first, finding guests who are articulate, who use words in ways in which that they can make a point, they can feel something, have an experience of something, and then put words to that something. And that's an important piece to it. Uh, But the other thing that I realized is that people aren't great at telling their own story. And in hindsight, of course, that makes sense because it requires perspective. It requires the ability to understand the narrative, the timeline of what happened in your life and where you are now vis-a-vis what happened in your life and to put it into a kind of construct and then to be able to talk about that requires help. They need help and guidance. So I spend more time now on the front end in the days and weeks leading up to a process, sometimes months helping guests understand their story and talk about their story because it's so powerful when they can have perspective and put the words to it. It's such a a tragedy feels too big a word, but if I know somebody's had a profound experience and I can't help them put that into words for the podcast, then I'm like, that's a fail. 
but it's an exciting creative process. Speaking of creative processes, Julie, we have to bring in Sharon and Liz because our team expanded, right? That was the next big chapter as we added hosts and became a kind of team with regular meetings. What did you remember about those? First of all, thank you for describing that it was really beautiful and it's what I witness you do. I wanted to say one thing about that is I feel like we all have within us the ability to tell our story. It just takes time to step back and reflect, like you said, to like really look back at our lives, to look back at our experience, to feel that experience in our bodies. Our spiritual selves will help us find the words. And it doesn't mean some people perhaps are not natural storytellers, you know, I think that's true. But for everyone listening to really know that if you settle back into yourself and look at your life and look at your experiences and get a sense of what they felt like, and a felt sense in the body that it starts to help you find the words rather than allowing just the, you know, relying on the intellect perhaps to come up with the words. That's a great point, Julie, about the felt sense of their experience. I'll ask guests a lot, maybe annoyingly so, what's that like? What's it like to talk about this? Just as a way of slowing it down and getting them in their bodies, out of their intellects, to describe the experience. And the other thing I was going to say is as soon as I was thinking, oh, we, we, I really want to bring in Sharon and, and Liz. And then you said it, it was like, there we are, you know, we're sort of on the same wavelength together. We really wanted more voices. And so well, why don't you tell this part? What do you remember as, as a host when Sharon came in? Well, for me, it's based in what Hoffman values, which is we are not the charismatic leader. It is not about us in front of the classroom being these incredibly insightful, charismatic people. And I had a grad once say to me, I want to let you know that I trust this process because you didn't elevate yourselves to the point where we had to look up to you and make it all about you. She said, I'm suspicious of that kind of thing. There's plenty of charismatic leaders out there in the world, and Hoffman doesn't really engage in that. So for me, it was a natural step to not be the only host. It is not my podcast. It's the Hoffman podcast. And so sharing the mic with Sharon and Liz is such an important piece and such a, for me, an enjoyable piece to listen to their episodes and hear the questions they ask in those moments and what they bring out of guests. And then to team together in our bi-monthly Zoom calls as we talk about this creative process and guests and what we're asking and what listeners want to hear. That teamwork and bringing Walt into that journey, that has become perhaps one of the most enjoyable parts of the podcast is being on this creative team together. It is a beautiful team. We brought Sharon in fairly early. We put out a call to the whole faculty to see who else might want to jump in as a host along with you, Drew. And Sharon, who had her own podcast, also had that experience behind her. And she joined very willingly and immediately became part of the team. And then, what was it, maybe a year later, we put a call out for another host. Liz applied, and Liz had not done a podcast. So she just jumped in, though, and was 
really teachable and wanted to learn. And I think the three of you, from my perspective as the producer, make such a great cohort of hosts because you're all different in how you approach the conversation with the guests. You're all different in how you prepare. That's what I noticed as the producer. And I thought this is bringing a lot of health to the podcast itself. Nobody is like the up and front guru, so to speak. So that worked really well. And, and again, Walt has been with us from the beginning, but he's always in the background, although he was on the podcast, which is a great episode as well. And I agree, we have a meeting every other week. I find it to be joyful. Sometimes it can be a little dry because we have to talk about a lot of tech stuff and the schedule, but there's such camaraderie and there's such trust and faith in each other. And there's such genuine love and I think admiration for what each person brings and admiration for the skill set each person brings. Because, you know, like Walt is, he is well seasoned in sound editing. We are so fortunate to have his capability. Walt has given us new nomenclature. The term artifacts is one example. We all have been joking about team, get rid of your artifacts, be aware of artifacts. And uh, to see the podcast through Walt's eyes is to see sound in a new way. Absolutely. And to, for me, listening to some of the things he says, I realize there's so much to hear, you know, when are, when are natural breaks and somebody's speaking. And I think one of the things that also, as I'm saying that, if you listen to what is actually recorded versus what is the finished product, there's a lot cut out. There's a lot of ums and uh, silences and misspeaks and things that would really reflect how most of us really are when we talk. <laughs> but especially when we talk and we're being recorded for something like this, you know, we get nervous, we get maybe shy, we get stumble over our words a bit. We're trying to find good words sometimes rather than just allowing the words to come. So he does a great job in that. And you and I have talked in the past about how you know, in social media, sometimes what you see isn't what's really going on in the background. It's not that cutting that out is is not wanting this to be real, but it's like, really, if you listen to a podcast, you do want it to sound pretty professional. So for anybody maybe wanting to be on the podcast, know that we have, you know, we have Walt, we have a great team, we have you, we have Sharon, and we have Liz to actually take whatever is said and put it into a pretty good format. Sounds really good. Yeah. But you're right that the self-doubt and the, do people even want to hear that? And the vulnerability hangover, these kinds of machinations of the dark side and patterns are often left on the cutting room floor. And what's instead produced as the final episode is a cleaner version than was there at the beginning. Yes. The other thing that I think is interesting in producing this podcast is that we don't go out and just look for look for experts and big names, you know. We look for graduates who have had an experience, a transformative experience at the Hoffman process. And we fully believe that these stories will speak to not only other grads, but to people all over the world who haven't done the process. In fact, we've been downloaded in 163 countries. So we we have a, a reach, you know, we have a reach around the world. And I think there's something within us as human beings that wants to tell our stories 
and wants to hear other stories. And so, you know, producing this and looking for people, it's an interesting journey in sort of looking through the past for graduates from the past, what, well, it could be 50 years, you know, who have taken the process. I'm thinking about Jack Rafferty, the 90-year-old who took the process, and we interviewed him in what season, Julie? Season five. Season five. And you know, it's amazing. I'm having this conversation with him and he's talking about how he's friends with Raz and Liza. And I said, how long have you been friends? And he said, oh, I think for 50 plus years. And I asked him, so how long have they been trying to get you to go to the process? You know, I mean, they must've been kind of coming after you. He goes, oh no, never. I said, wait, what? He said, no, they've never pushed it. They've always trusted that when I'm ready, I'll do it. And it just struck me as incredible that something near and dear to their heart, this Hoffman process, to Raz and Liza's heart, that they're not pushing it. And I think that's in such an important piece is that people come to the process when they're ready. And he wasn't ready till he was 90. And he said it was one of the best weeks of his life. Yeah. Isn't that the most beautiful story? I'm really glad you mentioned that. Drew, what else have you not said about behind the scenes that you want to say? I think that um, one other thing that's coming to my mind is listeners, sometimes you're right, listen before they've taken the process. Our wait list is so big that sometimes the the podcast becomes an on-ramp to the process. And so oftentimes I'll get students who who've said they have listened to it prior to taking their process and how it helped them. But what's also true is that, you know, we talk about the tools and the practices and you have to make a commitment to using those. Well, listening to episodes has become a kind of tool and a practice. I was talking to a grad recently and he said, I listen to one episode a week. It's part of my tools that I use to listen to other people's story. And so the podcast becomes that. But, you know, I was thinking about this in a world where you can Google depression and what it means to get out of it and how do I get out of depression and information is not the problem. And so I think what the podcast does is, yes, it does give valuable information, but it's people's stories that are a way of understanding, you know, Brene Brown says we're wired for story. And so you get all that information wrapped in a story and it becomes so much more digestible and sustainable because you understand it in the context of someone's lived experience, which I think has real power in what we've heard from listeners. Absolutely. I think that's what the beautiful thing about podcasts and why they're proliferating so much is that we are sharing ourselves with each other in ways that we haven't been able to until there was the technology and the creation of things like this. What you said also reminds me of the podcast episode that we just put out last week, or well, actually it'll be two weeks after this, on the Hoffman Essentials. Listening to the four guests who spoke about the Hoffman Essentials, what came up I think on almost all of their conversations with you was the idea that 
first when they got on the Zoom to do the work, so that wasn't in person like the process, it was on Zoom, they felt like strangers. And by the end, they weren't strangers anymore. And they realized that they started out as strangers with so much in common. I think on some level, we're all desiring to know who we really are and to be a part of that, the world's everyday radius, you know, whether or not you do the the process to be a part of this change that's happening and to realize that we have so much in common and yet each one of us is so distinctly different, beautifully different. And to be able to hold the tension of those two things is what I think you and Sharon and Liz do when you record with guests. You hold both of those things. There is a through line in each episode of a pivotal moment from the process and how does the process show up in your life today? Each guest is asked those questions. And yet what each guest shares, you know, is very different. But even that, listening to it, whether or not you've done the process yet or you have or you never will, or at least that you think you won't yet, you know, maybe you never say never, you see yourself in it. It becomes transpersonal. And you three are so good at that. I'm reminded of that Carl Jung quote that the most valuable spiritual tool we can have is the paradox. You just talked about so many paradoxes, being strangers and yet having so much in common. All this healthy tension of the both and that a process and a human being is made up of. Right, right. Paradox is the nature of life. You bringing up paradox reminds me of a quote from Carl Jung, only the paradox comes anywhere near to comprehending the fullness of life. And I think that's what we really, the hope was for this almost four years ago when we started for this podcast was to bring the fullness of life to it, to have it be real, to have it be alive. Well, Julie, I'm really glad to have finally met you at the site a month or so ago after working so long without having met. And I look forward to the time when all of us on the podcast team come together in person as well, because we've all been doing it virtually. Yes, that's true, right? Won't that be wonderful? going to be a big party. We're going to have to set that up. It's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you and do this work, but this has been a, a real pleasure to share the behind the scenes and some of the history of this and why you and I do this. And maybe at some point we can also have Sharon and Liz talk about why they do it. Yeah. What's it like, I just have to ask, to have come out from behind the scenes and get in front of the microphone and talk? It feels freeing in a way. You know, I've been on other podcasts myself personally or professionally in other capacities, but I've really enjoyed being behind the scenes on this one. I've loved tying all the details together, but actually speaking on it, I feel like I'm coming into spaces that I hadn't yet occupied as part of this grand adventure. And what's it like for you to share the background story? <laughs> it's, it's fun. I guess what I appreciate is our patience with ourselves and each other as we fumbled forward. Somebody must have written a book called Fumbling Forward or something, but it felt like we were fumbling forward and on some levels still are. 
fumbling forward. So I'm really excited for season eight coming out in January, right? Eight? Season eight. Absolutely. And it'll be in February. 2024 season eight. We got some great guests lined up, some experts in the field and some people that have some powerful stories to share. Yes. And thank you, listeners. Thanks for being with us and listening to the podcast. When you listen, you're a part of the community of Hoffman grads worldwide. And Julie, a happy new year to you. Happy New Year, Drew, and Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love in themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.